Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by AM Energy leaders tackling key issues and trends in the industry. Hello, and welcome to Alvarez and Marsal's The Next Imperative, an energy industry-focused podcast. My name is Jeff Angulo. I'm your host and moderator. Joining me this afternoon are my colleagues Francois Bardi and Al Carnwright. Gentlemen, we in the previous episode, we talked a lot about oil field services companies and what were the macro environment drivers are impacting them. Today, I thought we'd fine tune that conversation a little bit and come down and talk about what makes a world-class OFSE company, and then later talk about the levers other companies can pull as they aspire to that and move to change their companies and, and get to that to that level. Francois, what does a world-class OFSE look like in today's market? Jeff, let me answer assuming we're talking about a large-scale OFS company. Um, I think the market has been changing quite a bit. We talked about it in our last podcast. The uh, investor expectation is return on cash, and that creates complexity around um, around assets, owning assets, investment, and maintenance of of, of these of these components. I would say an OFS company would be uh, well advised to look at their portfolio very carefully and think through the offering of services and equipment that they have and decide where they are distinctive and the natural owner of the equipment and technology. And they may want to do this by geography, by client type, and even uh, by business lines. And um, at a time where margin is uh, paramount, I would very much look at alternative ways to offer turnkey solutions to your clients, but um, think through different commercial agreements, maybe JVs or partnership, where you can deliver the same quality of service to your client, but very differently. Now, what, what can you add? I know you're advisor to many oil field service companies. What are you seeing? Well, I, um, Francois just nailed it. I have very little to add. Other, th- other than if you look at the company's portfolios that we work with, they still have not gone through some of the rigor that Francois spoke about around looking at margins and where they're, where they're making their money and where they're not and, differ- and setting aside differentiation. Just, just, you know, where's the money being made? And then figuring out how to how to grow in the areas that uh, they're where they're really competitive and returns are good, versus uh, ones they just need to get out of. And the question is, when they when they exit a country, can they license their technology? Can they turn it over to a local vendor and things like that? And I think that needs to be explored a lot more by the OFSC companies, is because uh, right now the brand is you know they're quite proud of the fact we're in 100 countries. Well. Maybe there's 10 countries that count or 15 countries that count. I, I don't know the answer to that, but but being proud of the number of countries kind of reminds me of the oil uh, operators being proud of production. Um, it really doesn't drive financial returns. Right. And I like your idea about perhaps licensing technology to a local company or a smaller entity to keep the market but not have all the overhead dedicated to it. Yeah, and the other thing is too is just using local vendors. Right now, we're quite proud of the fact that we 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 do most of the uh, equipment manufacturing ourselves. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, that we should look at leveraging. I mean, right now we leverage to other countries like India and China, but we don't leverage the local workforce 
and local vendors for some of the some of the last mile stuff that needs to get developed. And uh, you know, we see it in the Middle East all the time, uh, where we're shipping stuff all over the Middle East, small stuff that's not. Uh, it's mainly a commodity. So if it's a commodity, my advice to an office e-company, if you're, if you're selling a commodity, how do you sell it differently? And how do you manufacture it differently? That's what? Jeff, um, another point for this cycle, I would say, is um, the OFS companies are making a lot of money. And now is the time to actually use this um, additional cash to pivot the company and be... Um, very courageous in making some of these uh, bets. And uh, I think the easy answer would be to reinvest in the oil and gas business. But the opportunity may be one of the last ones or one of the last big cycles where you get an opportunity to get ahead on digital and energy transition. And so these would be areas that uh, I would look at very carefully um, and uh, balance it versus giving cash back to the investors. Playing on that that response, where do you see, you know, five years from now, what does a world-class oil field services company look like that makes it different than one today? Is it is it more heavily invested in energy transition? Is it is it more digital? Is it, what do you see? I think you need to decide who you are. That's number one and where you want to go. Uh, now you have the means to actually uh, turn the, the large ship in that direction. I would say where you want to be is more balanced portfolio, and it probably will happen over time. Um, I think uh, the companies have essentially built a structure and the framework that looks at oil and gas business, energy transition business, and digital business as three different uh, P&Ls and sources of revenues. And so one uh, vertical will create a lot of cash in this cycle and will sponsor the other two and uh, seed money and technology that will uh, create return for the future. And now, uh, as you do that, you probably want to move away from large capital investment. We touched on this topic earlier in our conversation. Uh, so you would be, I would be very careful about making some large investment in in large capital assets. Al, what do you see as what a world-class OFSE is going to look like five years from now? How will it be different? It's a really difficult answer. And Francois gave a lot of uh, great, uh, great answers to the question, but I don't know. The reality is I, I just don't know what it's going to look like. What I will tell you is that the winners may become less and the ones on the losing end may be a lot more because they're not going to be able to get the scale and cover the fixed costs that are required to run a company. So it's going to force companies, if anything, to maybe retrench into fewer products, fewer geographies, fewer, fewer everything. And that, that includes standardization of equipment. I'm just appalled at the lack of standardization. There are some, especially deep water, subsea, that have standardized the wazoo out of it, and their margins are going through the roof. So I think standardization is a big part of what uh, is going to differentiate over the next five years. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a business with a lot of employees, <laughs> complex structures, and complex businesses around the world. And um, so I'm not sure what the winners look like in five years. 
what I can tell you is that now's the time to reinvent what they want to be, including strategically. Well, where do they want to focus? Um, it sounds um, old school, but Francois said, what do you want to be? I couldn't agree more. Uh, what do you want to be as a service company, whether you're, whether you're one of the big four or whether you're the next 10 companies down? Um, where, do you want to, where do you want to play in the space and what's it going to look like? Francois, how do you see world-class OFSC companies differentiating themselves? Jeff, may, maybe another way to, to look at your question is instead of looking at five years, maybe we look longer term, 20, 30 years on, on what could be. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still puzzled with OFSE. I think there may be a world where OFS and OFE become very different business models. And you have uh, a f maybe a restructuring, for lack of a better word, of, of OFSE companies, or at least the, ma the market, where you end up with uh, some companies that are more on the uh, advisory side and provide uh, skill set, knowledge, and um, engineering to uh, operators. And on the other side, you've got equipment companies that are more on the manufacturing side and installation. That could be a different split of the company. I could see very different structures. Um, but I, I imagine that, that um, we will see an evolution of the OFSE market. So similar to what IBM did, where they moved away from making PCs and went more into offering intellectual capital. Absolutely. I, I think large OFSCs will stay away from uh, large capital investments, and they will be able to do that, uh, relying on energy transition and digital, but they will lean out of capital their OFSE business and shed out parts of it. Al, going forward, how do you see OFSCs differentiating themselves? I, I don't think you're going to see... Although scale's important, I think there's going to be, if you were to look out 20 years, I think you see more retrenchment and you see maybe smaller regional players than what you're seeing, even seeing today. So I could, I could draw a case where even the bigger companies start breaking themselves apart and it could be equipment, could be services, could be, we're not going to be in the equipment that looks like a commodity, but I do think there's a case to be made for, um, the company's actually shrinking. And the subs of the part, the sub, the sum of the parts may be worth more in the whole. Uh, but I, I, you know, that that's ten year plus timeline, I think. But I do think there's a case to be made for that. The other one, the other way to differentiate, I think, is around compensation. I hate to sound uh, naive, but there's a lot of people in the field, and there's a lot of turnover. So unless we figure out how to compensate them more on a on a real time basis. You do something good, you get a you get a cash bonus, or you get something different. I think there's a real way to differentiate compensation amongst the companies right now, and we're working with some of our clients to try to do that as we speak. So I think I think compensation in the short term can be a great differentiator through this cycle of uh, short people. With instant rewards is what I think I heard. Instant rewards is for sure, and um, or go and also going to quarterly bonuses. You know, transparent metrics. Make sure everybody understands the metrics you're driving towards. And by God, if, you know, goodness, if you hit the metrics, you get a payout every quarter. And it's not unique. Uh, other industries do it. Uh, but it's one where I think we really need to, to shift or the service industry in particular to that model. Shorten the timeline so it's more 
achievable in their mind. And it, uh, But what it does do, Jeff, I think more importantly is it forces the transparency around what drives value so that people are focused on all the right things and they get rewarded for it. So I think it actually has a much longer ter longer term effect by driving towards a different comp model because it forces you to rethink your whole uh, metrics uh, from top to bottom. So they're integrated and they're actually um, um, uh, coming down the organization. Now, in a world where investment capital is limited for OFSEs, what are some of the other levers they can pull to, to move themselves to make a difference? Well, we talked about compensation. We talked about digital and the need to become more digital. We talked about portfolio rationalization potentially in some com country, uh, companies. What we haven't discussed is how do we work differently with the customer, the operator? Is there a way to actually work differently? I can tell you that there are some things going on in the North Sea around smart contracts that are next generation thinking on the service company relationship with the operator. And uh, ultimately, I think that will find its way here. So I think there's a lot of things we can do differently. Uh, 20 years ago, I, I, had, I presented to one of the majors where I, I told them they should buy a Halliburton. It was a U.S. major. I said, you guys should buy Halliburton and Total by Schlumberger, and, and uh, then you've got the services you need. And you'll never be short. Because to be honest, the market cap in those companies at the time was next to nothing compared to the operators. And uh, if, if, if the industry became really short capacity, capability in the OFSC front and product, it's still on the table in my mind. Would anybody do it? Likely not. But uh, it's got to be something that people look at all the time is how do we, how do we actually integrate even more I mean, the majors used to be in the service sector. I mean, the majors did it all. And then they got out of that business. And the question is, is there a case to be made in a short environment where you believe you're going to be short services and product for a long time? Should you actually look at uh, entertaining uh, vertical integration into the service sector? I'm not sure the answer, but it's certainly provocative. And the company I spoke to um, were scratching their head, and 20 years later, they're still scratching their head like they... <laughs> So, Francois, in a world where investment capital is limited for OFSCs, what other levers can they pull to differentiate themselves and, and to step up? Right. Jeff, I, I think the bigger question is actually there's not a lot of capital going into oil and gas. The cost of capital is increasing. So uh, it's easy to limit the problem to OFSE, but it's probably a broader question. And uh, Al alluded to it just now. It, it is going to take some different commercial agreements and, and uh, a solution that spans across the uh, operator and OFSE relationships. If we look back at the history of commercial agreements, it, it has evolved over time and uh, there has been extreme competition between the large OFS players to the extent that they have gone into a, what I would describe as a price wall. You know, uh, lump sum turnkey agreements, um, basically allowed the operators to effectively look at uh, performance management of contractors and reduce costs over time on a per well basis, on a per service basis. And that has been, um, uh, initially, it was a good idea as a commercial agreement, but it has been detrimental to the OFS industry. Um, 
I'm hoping that in the next, in this cycle, we find more win-win situations where the operators realize that uh, they need to work with OFS companies um, in the sense that we are sharing tech technology and we are sharing human capital across this value chain. And then it becomes more a question of who is responsible for delivering the service and uh, the engineering or, or, or equipment or otherwise. Is it the operator or is it the OFS company? Um, if the OFS are basically squeezed to zero margin, they will exit this market and leave the operator basically having to do that and carry. So that would be the bottom of, you know, the, 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 the pricing. And that would not be the, the right answer. Thank you. Al, anything to add? No, I think every time we go through a down cycle, the OFSC company gets squeezed, as Francois said, almost to almost to death. Almost on death door if the commodity price stays down long enough. And I can't tell you how many operators will say during that time, oh, we need to partner better so that so that we have a healthy service sector. Well, now's a good time, now that we're in a decent commodity price environment, to figure that out between operator and service company so that we're not in this volatile environment uh, driven by commodity price nearly as much as in the past. It, 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 it's not healthy for, obviously, the operator, but it's certainly going to be a death nail at times to the service sector. Look, what's interesting is actually we're on an up cycle. So we're discussing this as if we're in a down cycle, but the price of commodity is very high. And sadly, it looks like the investors are putting this pressure on the OFS and on the industry to have quarterly results and have margins. And that prevents a long-term uh, investments. And, you know, to our prior podcast discussion, you know, maybe the OFS company that is very successful is privately owned. And is one that can actually see through cycles and make contrarian bets and have access to capital and investment decisions that others are not willing to make. Excellent point. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a fabulous point. I think going private uh, should be on the table uh, because right now it still requires the partnership with with the operator, but I think the, these cycles are driving everybody crazy which is why you've seen some operators go private, and it's why you're seeing new operators enter the space that are private. I'm not talking private equity, I'm talking private companies. So uh, if we find that it becomes a trend in the OFSE side, I think it leads to a much healthier environment if they're capitalized the right way. Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your time, thank you, Jeff. Jeff. Thank you. And to our audience, thank you for your time and joining us on this episode of The Next Imperative. Next up in our series on OFSE, we'll have a deep discussion around the M&A market. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.